The following interview is a pre-recording from episode 44 of the Centre Steer podcast, a Land Rover podcast by Land Rover owners. Welcome to the Center Steer Podcast, the only Land Rover podcast on the planet. This is show number 44 for November 2016. This is a podcast by for and about Land Rover owners. Please visit our website, centersteer.com, to listen to previous shows and for show notes, which have links to the stories discussed on today's show. Uh, we are part of the 4x4 radio network, and I ask that you check out the other shows that are 4x4 related at 4x4, that's 4x4radionetwork.com. So I'm your host, John Costage, here in lovely western Pennsylvania, a few days after American Thanksgiving. Uh, the sun has finally shone after, I think, four days of overcastness. Uh, joining me uh, also from western Pennsylvania, this time, though, via Skype. I'm Harold. And also joining us through the magic and miracle of Skype is from the Green Mountain State. Hey, I'm Morgan. Unfortunately, we have not gotten any sun up here yet. But you have snow. Uh, we had snow about a week ago, yeah. Just enough. Coming up on the rest of the show, we have two guests this month. Our first guest is going to be Ryan with Off-Road Trail Guide. It is a crowdsourced database of off-road trails and OHV parks here in North America. And our guests following Ryan are the Foremans. Uh, that's Alec, Jan, and Charles. They wrote a book called Strangers Like Angels. It's about their journey that they took in their series truck back in 1977 uh, from the UK all the way to Nepal. Uh, a little preview. Uh, Alec is badass, and you'll find out why <laughs> when you come to that interview. Uh, follow that, that's Mr. Badass to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I met both uh, both of those guests. I met at the Overland Expo, and they were actually in the in the author's booth, right next to each other. All right, now on with the show. Welcome back to the Understeer Podcast. Our guests this month have written a book called "Strangers Like Angels," and they explored uh, Europe and Asia back in nineteen seventy in nineteen seventy seven in a nineteen seventy four series three. So joining us from Richmond, Virginia, is Charles, Jan, and Alec. And Jan and Alec, you're the ones that actually did the driving. And Charles, you came later, right? Yep, I was a star in the sky when they uh, did this trip. <laughs> so, Charles, uh, I met you guys at the Overland Expo uh, back in early October. And I know you guys have a, a nice book. And uh, ha you have a whole website dedicated to uh, to the book and to other activities around exploring called Explore More. So why don't you start us off? Tell us what uh, what what the the brand I guess is all about. I guess that's the new thing in the world is branding yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so Explore More is is a brand that I've created that I've been inspired by my own parents, and uh, as I've gotten into the overland industry and Land Rovers and that, as I've gotten into a place where I can afford such things, um, I've uh, created this brand to uh, inspire the next generation to do exactly what my parents did in 1977. So. Um, it's a, an adventure lifestyle brand with a passion to inspire people to explore the world, engage with others, and embrace global cultures, which is exactly what they did. Um, explore More is inspired by their book, Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot, and is written by my parents, Alec and Jan Foreman, uh, which tells the story of their Overland um, adventure in 1977. Um, and, uh, with only maps and a compass, they drove their 1974 Land Rover series three 
which was a long wheel based, and uh, they still own it today, 40 years later. Um, and they drove it 40,000 miles through 29 countries in Europe, Africa, and Asia. And on their journey, they experienced the delights of rugged landscapes, including the majestic dunes of the Sahara Desert, which they drove across twice, um, again, with only maps and a compass. Um, then they went on to uh, experience the extensive valleys of Iran and Afghanistan prior to major changes there. Um, and then finally, they, they parked their overland rig at the highest point and the highest road in the world in Ladakh before returning back to England, which is where we're all from. Um, so they definitely had a lifetime's worth of exciting challenges and uh, stunning views. However, uh, what truly was sort of the take back from their journey was the warm hospitality that they met from the many strangers along the trip, many of which, um, as the title implies, were like angels who guided them along the way on this journey. So um, today they sort of are on a new adventure trying to share their their story through their book, Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot, and uh, Explore More is a, a brand that I've created that sort of encompasses that story and is trying to inspire the next generation to go and do exactly that. So, I think it's a very laudable goal and an excellent idea. There's certainly a lot. A lot of, we went, that's what uh, the Overland Expo showed. There's a lot of people, especially in the United States, starting to understand what overlanding is and wanting to get out and about and tour and drive around and as you know the bells were just at my home and they're also exploring the world and overlanding and doing the same thing uh so how did it all start let's let's when we go back to the beginning what was the genesis for hey let's travel the world in a 1970 in a 1974 series three well, mind you in 1977 <laughs> that wasn't like a big thing that wasn't like you know, an old truck it was just that's true it was brand new it was what they had to drive showroom finish well, going back even further, back to the days when I was serving with, in the British Army as a helicopter engineer in the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers, uh, mode of transport were um, probably Series 2 Land Rovers, and then the military version where we'd go off and rescue helicopters that had either uh, force-landed or needed uh, extra uh, repairs. Uh, from a workshop level, and it was, uh, I guess that's where my love of these machines began. And then uh, meeting my Jan in northern Germany, uh, right from the beginning, we talked about doing travel um, on an extended basis, you know, where you didn't have to get back to work. So we bought our very own uh, Series 3 Land Rover, which had... Uh, begun its life with my uncle carrying around pigs and potatoes. Our first task in the uh, modification of the vehicle was to get rid of the smell. But um, from then we uh, built in an elevating roof and sleeping accommodation, storage, uh, security uh, devices, and uh, we were all set for our adventure. Come on, you never got rid of the pig smell. Well, admit it. Got rid of most of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> pigs are awful. <laughs> Not as bad as monkeys and chickens, but. <laughs> I think pigs might be worse. I, no, I've actually, I had a job once where I had, a, a, for the summer, I worked with lab animals. And I can tell you, monkeys and chickens are worse than pigs. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, 
So you started uh, Alec with in a series two. This is like that's cool stuff, you know. That's 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 fodder for the podcast here. That was you drove one in. I I know it was it wasn't the Royal Engineers. I should have written down uh, what you served with, and I apologize. It was for electrical and mechanical engineers uh, looking after the uh, Army Air Corps helicopters, and uh, we were there kind of mobile workshop where they got them. But in trouble or needed help, we would drive out from our workshop base uh, with new gearbox, engine, blades, whatever uh, was required. And uh, as I say, our mode of transport with these uh, Land Rovers go anywhere or do anything uh, machine. Did you see conflict during this? Unfortunately uh, not. Uh, at a time, my career was spent in northern Germany. Uh, I spent a short period in Northern Ireland. Uh, two years in Hong Kong, and then had a period of over three years in uh, the Antarctic. Wow! So mobile—they were mobile shops. Is that did I hear correctly? Well, they were mainly a means of transport, so that we could uh, get into. Uh, we needed a vehicle where we could get in, if necessary, cross country over rough terrain. Um, that was in Germany, then, wasn't uh, it? That was in Germany. Uh, we still use them in Hong Kong. Um, the Antarctic was a whole different, uh, different thing. Obviously, no Land Rovers down there. Wait a minute! You spent time in the Antarctic. That's that's right. Damn, beautiful place. How long were you in the Antarctic? I'm sorry. How long did you spend in the Antarctic? Uh, we did three six-month seasons. We'd fly down. We like migrating birds. We'd fly from UK to Toronto, where the uh, twin De Havilland twin otter aircraft was made. Then we'd do a ferry flight for about a week down through the States, Caribbean, and South America. Uh, we'd arrive end of September. Uh, we'd then um, take all the field parties, the scientists and their assistants, out to their work areas and then uh, keep them supported. They needed more food, more fuel. Uh, they had a husky dog who went lame. We'd fly at a replacement, and we'd continue to do this through to the end of March, and then we'd uh, put the ferry tanks back in and fly back north and arriving back in Toronto sometime in April. Uh, we'd spend the summer in Europe, and then uh, back uh, back to the Antarctic again in September. I did this on three 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 consecutive years. I mean, doing it once is badass. Three times. That's, that's about the coolest <laughs> thing I've heard in quite a while. <laughs> wow, it was, it was exciting stuff. We had some uh, exciting moments, but that's that's another story. <laughs> but but no Land Rovers down there. No Land Rovers. I, I no. can't imagine having to hand crank a series truck on the Antarctic. No, no. Any mechanical vehicles at all? That that they because I know they have planes, but that they take any any. Uh, uh, my main transport that uh, I was involved with was skidoos. Okay, gotcha. Snowmobiles. Nice. A whole lot of fun uh, driving across uh, between well the airstrip and the base, and uh, occasionally that uh, guys would take uh, extended trips with these machines. Out into the uh, Bundu, as it was called. So, were you actually driving the Land Rovers as part of your as part of your job? 
Yeah, that was, uh, again, as I say, back in Hong Kong and Germany, um, the Land Rover was our main means of transport. So, so you were like a well-seasoned professional at handling a Land Rover before you even began your journey. Yeah, that's right. I'd had lots of uh, experience, and uh, even in UK, I had some um, army training specialist uh, courses uh, out on Salisbury Plain, which is one of the British Army's biggest training areas, right. where we don't have lots of fun diving in and out of mud holes, steep slope recovery, um, all the kind of tricks of, of uh, looking after and driving a Land Rover. That's where they teach you which hammer to bash it with, right? They, uh, that's right, something like that. <laughs> and it was it was during that time that uh, the kind of desire to uh, go on a real adventure uh, out to some of the wilder areas in the world. And we, uh, Jan and I, right from the beginning, um, planned this uh, trip, which took us uh, in Europe, Africa, and Asia. Did you know about the original first overland that the Cambridge uh, and uh, Oxford gentleman had done? Yeah, we'd, I'd read up on some of that, um, been inspired by some of the early trips that had gone out through uh, um, out through Burma and out to on, on down through uh, Malaysia, Singapore, and on to Australia. But, um, so yeah, that was uh, quite a while ago. Now, did that give you the inspiration and the idea to do your journey, uh, or and, and or was it just hey, you decide that on your own, you and Jan? Yeah, it was pretty much decided on our own. Jan and I just felt that we wanted to do this, uh, do this trip. And why, uh, you know, uh, I guess why Asia? I mean, you could certainly did you do it all in one fell swoop? Uh, did you decide that you wanted to go as far as you could possibly could overland? When we set out. We set out with a, um, a, a forever um, schedule. You know, we were not uh, – it was limited by funds, I guess, but um, we thought maybe we would um, find work on the way and we'd just keep going for as long as we could. So um, we left England in February in the winter and crossed over into Europe, um, came down through Germany into France and Spain, and then we um, crossed um, the Mediterranean to go to Morocco. And after seeing many of the familiar um, tourist places like uh, Casablanca, Marrakesh, and Fez, uh, we ventured up onto the, the coast of Algeria and then uh, turned um, south and uh, began the journey towards the Sahara Desert. And on that time, we were uh, mostly traveling on our own. Um, and uh, But the very first part of the desert, we teamed up with a, a couple who were driving in a, a Ford Dormobile um, van, camper van. And uh, we just traveled with them for a couple of days while we were all getting used to um, driving through the desert where there was no identifiable road. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're on the you're on the Sahara, no identifiable road, uh, and you're not probably not traveling at night. I'm guessing, so you're not going to use the stars. Are you using what do you what tools are you using? Well, we just we had a map, a Michelin map of North <laughs> Africa, and we had a compass, 
And as we drove along, um, I regularly took compass uh, readings, uh, the mileage. I looked for identifiable, um, interesting things around, whether that be um, on the terrain like uh, blue-colored rocks or um, certain um, foliage and so on. Sure. So that at any point we, we thought we were not in the right direction, we could backtrack so this was a. I was doing this as we were driving along, writing in a little um, notebook. Wow, you, you you could be a Pittsburgher because you know around here in Pittsburgh we give directions by where things used to be. <laughs> I, I I when I'm uh, off topic, but I I had a a job a new job in a place called Greensburg, and I found out where GBs used to be because people in the area told me you need to go where GBs used to be. Anyway, <laughs> sounds familiar. So you were using landmarks and uh, and, and and a compass uh, to get around, and, and it's, any it's the way it's been done for hundreds of years before we had these little electronic toys to play with and, and satellites uh, bouncing around the skies. Yeah. Right. Any major problems? Did you get lost? Uh, you know, uh, did you break stuff? Um, uh, we crossed the uh, did the first crossing of the Sahara incident free. Our first trouble was on an absolutely diabolical, what had been a tarmac road in uh, Nigeria. In fact, there was a British construction company in the process of building a new road alongside. Um, We left the previous town some 80 miles behind us, and driving along we heard a rather loud bang from the rear end of the vehicle, and uh, we stopped and, being British, got out of the teapot and had a cup of tea while we considered the problem. And on investigation, we'd actually broken one of the main overload springs um, on the suspension. We decided that um, the town ahead of us we really was an unknown quantity. We didn't know whether it would get spares, but we felt pretty sure we'd get them in the town. We'd come through 80 miles back. So we turned around and had gone three or four miles and we came across a road accident. Another Land Rover belonging to the uh, road construction company, driven by some local guys who had basically not gone round a corner and impaled themselves on a, a rather large rock. Fortunately, none of them were badly injured, a few cuts and bruises. Uh, we put them in the back of the vehicle, our, our Land Rover, and they said there's pointed us on, they were saying, Wimpy Camp, Wimpy Camp, and it was the road camp. We drove in. Uh, Jan took them off, the guys off to the medical centre, and I was underneath the Land Rover just checking to see if the springs had moved any, and the manager of the project came along and said, uh, asked what we were about, and I said, well, we brought in three of your guys from a road accident, um, he didn't ask how they were. He asked, how's the land, how their Land Rover look? I said, well, it didn't look, look pretty sorry for itself. He said, well, that's the third new Land Rover they've written off in, <laughs> in the first month. Ouch. He said, um, he said, what's your problem? I said, oh, I've got a broken spring. He said, oh, no problem. Bring, bring it around the garage. Um, uh, mechanics will fix it for you overnight. Um Dinner's at 8, see you in the bar at 6, and tonight's movie night. And so we... And stay in the uh, air-conditioned guest house. There you go. So we we looked after 
well for evening meal, air conditioned uh, sleeping accommodation. Next morning, we picked up our Land Rover and they put on complete new rear suspension. And they said, take away any spares you want from what we've taken off. I was going to say, if they've wrecked three of them, there's there's an opportunity for some spare parts there. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah, and they, as we drove, just about to drive away, said, oh, go around to the fueling point and fill up with gas before you leave. So those were those guys. I guess were the first angels we met. We're able to put our vehicle back in working order again. Well, that's your Algerian tax dollars at work for you, I think. <laughs> so tell us about the highest point on the highest road in the world. I had was not not familiar with that. When we were after we'd travelled across Iran, Afghanistan, through Pakistan, uh, when we arrived in India. We were at this time traveling with another couple who were from Switzerland. Uh, We teamed up with them in Afghanistan, um, where we had to drive in convoy across the central route. But um, we met again in uh, India and drove up to the north to an area called Ladakh. And it's on the border with uh, um, China. um, And it's called uh, Little Tibet. Uh, because the the local people are of Tibetan origin in the um, capital of Ladakh, it's called Leh, L-E-H. And there we saw a sign saying to the highest point of the highest road in the world, 18,360 feet. But also we saw a sign uh, to say that you could not actually go to it, um, no uh, driving beyond this point. But it was too much of a a temptation to miss because, especially for Alec, he'd been at the South Pole in the Antarctic. So why not now go to the highest road in the world? uh, And if there's a sign saying you can't do it, you know that means you've got to do it. Yeah. (laughs) So so we set off early in the morning with with the Swiss couple. And uh, as we drove along, we came across a barrier that was actually up. Um, and there was a little tent on the side, which obviously the guard was sleeping in. And so we drove as fast as we could past this um, barrier uh, place and continued up as uh, far as we could until we reached um, the point of uh, where another big sign was saying to the highest point, the highest point on the highest road in the world. And uh, at that point, for driving, the lander was doing very... Um, yeah, not very good gas mileage. We were doing about seven miles to the gallon because uh, the, the carburetor is not altitude compensated, but a uh, good old Land Rover that's got up there back. even if we were a bit heavy on the gas. That's about half of what they normally get. That's right. And on the way back, the barrier was down. And the soldier was standing there, armed soldier, and he wanted to know where we were going. And we said, well, we're going to Ley, which was the town we'd come from um, before the journey that morning. And uh, he said, oh, you, you know, you shouldn't be up here. You, and we said, well, we won't, we won't do it again. You know, we, we'll just keep going. <laughs> so we figured that he would get in more trouble for having us pass when he was sleeping than, than we would. So... We um, yeah, it was a it was a special uh, morning. Well, yeah, what's he going to do? It's like yeah, you've already you confiscate your picture. You do have a picture in the book. Highest, right. highest point on the world's highest road, 
18,380 feet. Uh, how do you say the name of the, of the town? Ladakh. Well, La- Ladakh. yes, Ladakh is the area. And Lay is the, the town. Okay. The picture on, on the left, it, yeah, it's got Lay there. Ah, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. And then so the, and so there's uh, you and the Swiss couple, and there's a there's a sign there. Looks like uh, yeah. October twenty first, nineteen seventy seven. That's correct. Any sort of <laughs> any sort of world record? Do you own a world record for motorized vehicle or anything? Highest point in the... I doubt it. Yeah. Doubt it. But now if you go to that place, it's very, um, you know, touristy. Oh. And they, uh, they have... Um, yeah, it's totally different now. Well, vehicles can make it there now. They have more a little more power than they used to. True. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Let's go back also. I, I know it kind of skipped because... Uh, uh, skipped in your journey because I I just like the highest point in the road part. But so you were in the Sahara, and then uh, what happened after the Sahara Desert? Well, we came down um, through Niger, Nigeria, and Cameroon, and when we were planning to drive uh, east to Kenya and then ship the vehicle to India, but when we were in Cameroon, we checked with the British Embassy the conditions of uh, the countries that we would be driving into, and. Uh, in Zaire, as it was then, there was fighting. Uh, the Kenya-Tanzania border was closed, and Idi Amin was in power in uh, Uganda. So it didn't look a very favorable route to take, and we weren't looking for trouble. So we decided to go west and went back into Nigeria, Benin, Togo, Ghana, Upper Volta, which is now Burkina Faso, and Mali, and then into Niger, and then back up. Um, through the Sahara Desert, and that meant we were traveling um, at a time when it was at the um, optimum um, heat, um, and when you were advised actually not to go through the Sahara. So of course you did. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we did because we'd made our choice in Cameroon, and we just had to continue on. Were you traveling alone at that time? We were traveling on our own. Wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> all at that time we were traveling on our own. Yeah, sure, sure. And uh, how how was that? Uh, I mean, that's just the two of you. Uh, did you handle someone handle certain chores? Uh, did you do any of the driving, Jan? I did initially on on the journey, um, but when we got to the desert, and Alec was telling me how to put it into four wheel drive and do this and get that gear over here and so on. And uh, he said, if you, if you don't get it right, you know, we're going to be stuck here in the desert and so on. And I thought, well, I don't want to be responsible for doing any damage and for Alec having to work in the desert on the vehicle. So I decided that I would be the diary uh, journalist and the navigator and, um, yeah, and just generally, you know, the domestic side of things. And that suited as well. We had a good team we, going. We made a great team. Yeah. Uh, and just to, uh, to throw in there, too, um, uh, going back to when they did meet in the military, my mom was also in the British Army. She trained as a, a nurse. So they came well prepared with lots of skills that just naturally fit into their trip. So hey, One of you fixes the machines and the other one fixes the humans. Yeah. <laughs> That is, that is a good combination. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm, although I am glad to hear that you did drive some. That's, uh, that, that's nice to yeah. hear because it's important. Yeah, and, sure. and it's good to have your respective skills too, but it's nice to be able to share some of that, uh, the driving part. Yeah, Alec, Alec helped with the cooking too. I was quite surprised when I was writing the book and looking at the diaries and I thought, 
oh, you did this cooking and you did that, fixing that. And that was quite, uh, you know, I was surprised. <laughs> and also there's a, uh, another funny story of, um, you know, when they'd cross the Niger River, they'd have to go and test whether, how deep the water was. So my mum was the one that walked out in croc-infested waters. And there wasn't any crocodiles in there. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> oh, well, Jan, tell them there's... Jan, tell them there's crocodile-infested waters. It's, it makes it, it's a wonderful story. Yeah, you can, in, it's okay. The, yeah, in the Chitwan National Park in Nepal, we did go through um, crocodile waters to get across, didn't we? Yeah. Did you uh, use? Did you? I, I assume you bought local food. You weren't you weren't eating rations, right? You didn't bring any uh, military uh, rations. Well, we did. Um, you know, because you figure there won't be uh, too many um, supermarkets in the desert. So we did pack four months' supply of dried foods, and I did those in um, uh, ten-day ration packs, um, which we stored a lot of those in our roof box. And some of the items we had was actually from the Antarctic, um, which uh, the uh, scientists, when they'd gone out into the um, into the wilderness there. Uh, there were certain foods, if they didn't uh, use them up, they came back to the base and then people could take them for their camping trips. So we had like uh, small blocks of uh, dehydrated meat, uh, for instance, and we never actually bought any fresh meat along the way. But we would buy, obviously, fresh um, vegetables and uh, all anything we could find that was of use to make our meals um, we would buy as we went along, but we could supplement it with the dried foods when there was um, any restriction or we wanted just something extra. One of the things we found was dried egg powder, which I hadn't even realized existed. But apparently during the wartime, there was dried egg powder. Oh, yeah. And so I, I resourced that and that was very useful until we found some chickens along the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, you, you had chickens in the truck? No, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> That's how you get rid of the pig smell. That's like that, yeah. So, so you leave Africa and go to Asia. Where did, where did you land in Asia? Well, we uh, we left uh, Africa the, on the second crossing of the Sahara. We came up and exited through Tunisia, and we got a ferry across to Sicily, up through Italy, and uh, into Austria, where we kind of regrouped, I guess you'd call it. Getting, um, we needed some spare parts out from England and uh, get some more cash sent. And uh, we spent some days in Vienna, Austria, and then moved and set off east through what was then the communist countries of Hungary, Romania, and Bulgaria, and then into Turkey, um, and then on out through Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India, and eventually uh, to Nepal. You just said the magic word, by the way, Bulgaria. It's John's heritage. My my oh. my, my uh, maternal grandmother is uh, best we know is from Sofia, Bulgaria. Oh, okay. And my heard that in the book too. Yeah. Oh, good. I'll, I'll definitely. Uh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's all we really know. Uh, but uh, my grandfather was uh, from Macedonia, which of course was Yugoslavia at the time. But. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Before we continue with that, I have to ask this and sound like, an, uh, you know, one of the uh, impersonal questions, not imp- no, the personal, too personal of a question. How old were you guys when you started this? Um, I was, was I 24 or 25? 24. 
Halleck was four years older. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, that's just a, a more 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 impressive. You guys are badass. You are, you really are. Uh, and how long did you spend in in uh, in Africa? Like, wh- how long did that time take uh, that you were out? You know, the, say the first leg of the journey. It would have been February through June, I guess. Okay, so but four or yeah, five. It was months. August when we set off um, from Hungary from yeah Vienna. Okay. August. Yeah. So from February through to. Uh, um, end of July, we were on that first part of the journey. Nice. So the second part of the journey, so you take a little, maybe a little bit of break, sounds like about a month or so, and you regroup and uh, fix the fix the rover and or a landy, depending on what side of the pond you're on, and uh, then you get back going again. That's correct. And then one of the most exciting uh, parts of our journey was traveling through Afghanistan. And uh, when we arrived in Herat, um, to the west of the country, um, we, you know, when you, we did a lot of wild camping as such, um, but when we were in any major town, uh, then obviously we found where the overlanders would park up. And that was uh, at the back of a hotel. And uh, we were there chatting to some of the other folk and uh, we discovered that we could not continue. Well, we didn't know too much about Afghanistan, but we found that there was the Tard Road went from Herat north to Mazar Sharif and then uh, down again to Kabul, like in a diamond shape. And then uh, the other half of the diamond would go south from Herat, Kandahar, and then north um, east to Kabul. But we discovered that it's possible to drive through the central route where there is no tarred road. It's just rough driving the whole way. Uh, But you couldn't do it without uh, being in convoy. And that's when we linked up with the Swiss couple. It was something like a thousand kilometer drive through um, real Land Rover territory. It definitely sounds like real Land Rover territory. As in no roads required? No roads required. Yeah, you, that's, the, that's the number plate you need, no road required. That's the number plate on the back of my uh, back of my 109. Afghanistan, this is two years before the Soviets invade in 1979. So that's right before the Soviet invasion. Well, of course, we didn't know they were going to be invading. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> we, right. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. That's kind of the point. <laughs> we just enjoyed the journey uh, that we found. And, in fact, in our book, we have several chapters on that uh, part of the journey because it was such a, an amazing um, terrain to drive through uh, some fantastic valleys and uh, rugged driving through um Riverbeds on yeah. rocky, um, yeah, cross rocks and so on. It, it was really, uh, really what Land Rovers are built for. I'm sure it's a beautiful country before it got all shot up. Yeah. Oh yeah, and very care, very uh, helpful people. We um, never had any problem with um, any of the local people we met. We found nothing but kindness. So what the the ro- the roads you mentioned them. Uh, how much was tarmac? How much was just, uh, you know, a, a dusty stone road? Or was it a mix, I assume? No tarmac. None. Okay. On the central route, no tarmac. Okay. Just rough roads. Right. And there was some, some interesting, uh, well, all sorts of adventures going through. There's some interesting bridges where you're uh, 
kind of 30 feet up in the air on a bridge which is built out of uh, uh, tree trunks and uh, split logs um, spread between the tree trunks. Uh, watch the local market truck drive over and then uh, take a deep breath and uh, edge forward onto the bridge, making sure that uh, there's going to be a camera to record the event, whether you make it or fall into the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and to uh, to add to that, as far as the camera, I mean, my parents again didn't take a, a digital camera; they took uh, just slide um, film. Right. Every shot they took counted. They had to, you know, they couldn't be blasting away because they'd run out of film. But um, and just to plug their Instagram feed, if you go to strangers like at strangers like angels on Instagram, you'll find a plethora of their images that they took. Um, some really amazing photography i mean i they are my parents are uh, they're creative people i and you know but the, the photos they took are, are amazing and you know true artistic angles and everything so i i definitely encourage people if you're on instagram check them out there's lots of great pictures and we're constantly posting new ones that aren't even included in the book so in addition to all their photos that and to get some more pictures, I definitely encourage everyone to check out on Instagram. Um, you can go to at strangers like angels, or if you want to follow explore more as well, it's actually E X P L underscore M O R E and, uh, explore more shares pictures of the community that's building around this mantra. And, uh, on strangers like angels, there's just additional pictures that aren't in their book, but, uh, definitely invite you guys to come check it out. Yeah. They're, they're good pictures. I mean, they're, the ones in the book are outstanding. Who, who's the photographer? Well, I think we both nice. would take photos. You know, we had one camera and we just took the photos as the opportunity came. For the photo geeks, what kind of camera? It was uh, one of the original uh, point and shoot at an Olympus Trip 35, nice. uh, which I'd used in the Antarctic and uh, we took it, took it along on a uh, trip also. And, uh, that's, that's some street cred for that camera. Do you yeah, if Olympus is listening, then definitely reach out for any sponsorship. You, you still have it? You still have that camera? It's somewhere in uh, possessions. Nice. nice. Alec doesn't throw anything away, so I'm sure we've got it somewhere. <laughs> this is great. This is uh, fantastic. I'm fantastic. assuming we're talking 35 millimeter? That's... Yeah, yeah, 35 millimeter 35 using Kodachrome uh, to slide film. Excellent. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're in so you're in Afghanistan and you went through Iran. Any interesting stories out of Iran cuz at the time that was a little more western leading. Well, it was still under the Shah at that yeah, time. It, well, actually 79 was also when right. the Shah when the Shah was dethroned. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have so many adventures in Iran. It was very um you could tell there was money there. Um, and um, yeah, very cheap gas. Gas was ten cents a gallon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you didn't worry about your consumption. No, no, um, no. So the book is uh, "Strangers Like Angels." Yeah, I had to look at my notes. It's "Strangers Like Angels," and that's because of all the people that you encountered along the way. And you've told us a couple stories. Is there any others that pop up to mind of uh, the strangers that helped you out along the way? Uh, there was one particular um, early story 
in Algeria when we were still before we got to the Sahara Desert. And we parked the vehicle in the evening on the side of a road in the mountains. And it was on a, a, there was a triangular bit of grass on the side of the road. And I was busy cooking the meal and I always would cook the meal inside the vehicle um, and um, a knock at the door. And there was a, a lad who, a young lad who came there and he was greeting us and, uh, we didn't have, uh, didn't speak French, but anyway, we were polite and greeted him back and um, off he went. And as I um, finished preparing the meal, which uh, we had uh, fish and bread, and there was a knock at the door and this lad was there with his older brother and they came with a basket of bread and a platter with cooked fish on and they handed us this meal. And at that time, it seemed we could, what could we do? We ha already had our food and here we had more food. So um, eventually we had to um, show them our dinner was ready and then um, they left. And then we didn't enjoy the meal at all because we felt we hadn't responded maybe in the way that was appropriate. Um, but anyway, we continued on and eventually it was time to make coffee. And lo and behold, there was another knock at the door and we opened it. And there was the two lads again with um, a, a tray with a flask which had coffee in and little cups. And they had brought us coffee to drink. So this time we weren't going to make a mistake again. So we invited them in the back of the Land Rover. They drank our coffee and we drank theirs. And we spent an hour together um, trying to communicate with pen and paper and um, we discovered a lot of things um, about them and their family. And the next day, um, we had arranged to meet with them and got to visit their farm and ended up at their home uh, to have lunch uh, with them before we set off again on our journey. Um, a Land Rover mechanical story um, would be one in India. At the time, we were traveling with our Swiss friends uh, Jean-Luc, um, the guy was no was a school teacher, no doubt a very good school teacher, but the extent of his mechanical knowledge extended to where the gas went in. Um, and at a time when in, in India he started having trouble with his brakes, and it was at a time when he used to have red brake fluid and white brake fluid, and you shouldn't mix the two while his local friendly garage put the wrong fluid in and these brakes seals were all uh, gone soft. So we um, Whoops. Took, off exact, took off all the seals, went into the uh, motor, motor section of the market in Delhi and uh, finished up in a shop run by Sikhs, uh, the turban Indian um, men. And they didn't import that particular uh, Land Rover into India, so he couldn't say, well, I want a set of front and back axle seals for a, whatever it was. Uh, we had to match each individual seal. Well, these guys went through all their boxes and eventually finished up with a pile of suitable seals on the counter. And we said, what do we owe you for these? And their reply uh, stunned us. They said, uh, oh, no charge, you're guests in our country. Uh, we won't accept any 
payment for them. So wow. again, another example of angels we met along the way. Mechanical angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that that brings to mind a question that I had as a uh, 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 someone who who honed his Land Rover experience in the army fixing machines. Uh, did you find yourself tempted to bring way too many tools on this trip, or not enough? Um, I think just about sufficient. We uh, went to a company in London, Brown Church Components, from whom we bought our uh, roof rack, and they put together a uh, spares package uh, for our trip, um, which was pretty adequate. Um, A few things that we found uh, were missing and we had to be ingenious on thinking of a solution to fix the machine. Uh, But all these stories are in the book. um... Oh, yeah, don't give away free content. No, you you want to make it by the book. Buy the book. Absolutely, <laughs> buy the book, exactly. And the book is available on the, the Explore More website? Yep, that goes directly to there, and you'll uh, find the book and additional um, other products, including uh, beautiful prints of their photos and um, note cards that you can send to your friends to inspire other people to go and, and do as a trip as they did. So. I, want, I want the lapel pin. I'm going to be ordering the lapel pin. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, it's their it's their uh, silhouette truck. And how much is the book? Twenty dollars. Okay, very good. Yeah, for 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 the quality of the book that I'm seeing here, that's that's a really good buy. That's a good deal, and it's also excellent for any uh, as a holiday Christmas gift for any of your friends who want to know uh, more about overlanding and travel and cultural cross cultural uh, exchange of information. And uh, as a special gift to the listeners, we um, are doing a, a promo code for you guys for it's uh, just. just We've center never, wait, wait, we've never had a promo code before. This is new. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> need a sound effect right now. Uh, yeah, well, dr- hold a drop-in sound effect. Okay. Then we, I, I don't know what I'll pick. We'll do something. Anyway, so what, what, <laughs> what's the promo code? Uh, yeah, you can get a, a 10% off and uh, if you use center steer. So just, just as you write it, C-E-N-T-R-E-S-T-E-E-R. As uh, Her Majesty intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, we're still an independent country, though. You know, <laughs> around here we still spell it in the American way. Uh, well, some do, we don't. Yeah. yeah, you know, I used to work with a guy who actually was an American, but he, he liked Britain so much he actually spelled things in British English. Annoyed, annoyed everybody. Oh, I'm sure it was. It was. Uh, so, uh, how many other? overlanders that you encounter throughout your trip i mean you, you talked about the you know the the folks from from switzerland but at, at that time were there a lot of was that a lot happening seems like there's a big increase lately in folks overlanding but how was it back in you know back in the 70s well there was quite a community on the road of um various european countries australians new zealanders mixed mixture of vehicles you see the good old uh, volkswagen camper Bus, uh, even one couple we met with a Citroen 2CB. Um, nice. <laughs> That's special. They're, in the Sahara. They're even more special than Land Rover people. <laughs> well, the good thing about the Citroen 2CB, you can just pick it up and get stuck. You just pick it up and uh, put it back on the road again. You don't have to worry about boiling <laughs> over the radiator either. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell me tell me more about Bulgaria. And I also noticed on the way back, you went through Skopje, which is Macedonia. And since those, that's a uh, land of my uh, 
forefathers and foremothers. Any little interesting uh, stories that you remember? If you don't, that's fine too. Yeah, I don't particularly remember um, stories from there. No, that's fine. Not I would come up with immediately. Yeah, <laughs> I had to ask because you know, it's, uh, I, I did get to visit both countries back in 2005, and Macedonia reminds me of Pennsylvania. Which is interesting, hmm. and Pennsylvania reminds me of Wales too, just as a little interesting tidbit of geographic information. Okay, yeah. So you drove back, you got all the way to Kathmandu, and then you, and you turned around and and came right back. That's right, and then we kept more southerly because it was um, winter time. We were um, December nineteen seventy seven at Christmas. We were in Nepal in Kathmandu, um, and then as we were heading. West, um, obviously, it was winter conditions, so we would uh, keep as south as we could. Um, but when we got into uh, Turkey, we were so far south um, that uh, we really got into a very snow-covered landscape, didn't we, and roads. And uh, there's an exciting story in the book uh, that tells of how we met um, at the, as the book is called Strangers Like Angels with the Devil of Tutabu. This is when we met someone who was behaving more like a devil than an angel. And so that was a little bit of a freaky time that we had an adventure there. So would we call that a close call? Would that be a... Oh, we've a very tense. Very yeah, tense. A very surprising ending, a very yeah. good ending. Uh, it could potentially have been a whole lot different. But, uh, yeah. Well, obviously it was... Positive because you're still with us now, so that's uh, exactly. That, exactly. Yeah, which is Again, buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, buy the book if you want to know what happens. Well, we know you're still with us, so that's so obviously that's that's a good thing. Yeah, we really that that one's kind of a, a spoiler that's inherent. Tell us more about the the Land Rover since this is the uh, world's only Land Rover podcast, and that's what we focus on. Uh, it's a, it was brand new to you. Do you still have it? Uh, are you is it in need of a restoration? Where is it? Well, you're asking all the right questions there. Um, the Land Rover originated with my uncle. As I say, he was a big farmer. He bought it brand new. I think he was about two years old when we uh, took it on. Um, blue and white, hard top. Had the um, 2.6-litre gasoline engine, uh, straight six. Um, yeah, and I spent time on it, put an elevating roof, sleeping accommodation, cupboards, uh, toilet facilities. Um, extra fuel tank. Extra fuel tank. And, um, yeah. It, a capstan winch on the front we had. Yeah, which, um, again, a uh, few stories when we told about the use of the winch. We didn't actually use it to rescue ourselves, but it was jolly useful, um, saving us time, helping other people. We got several incidents where we were able to use the winch to rescue uh, other people. Yeah, capstan winch is more useful for winching other things than, than and not so much for rescuing your own truck, just by virtue yeah. of its design. Yeah, it was the, I guess when I bought it, it was at the time the more economy um, choice. choice. Um, but it's, it served us well. They're yeah. now a collectible piece of kit. 
we should have kept him. <laughs> Sold it when we got back, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. we used the vehicle when we got back, um, you know, as our day-by-day vehicle. And then when we uh, started having children, um, we did some traveling with them um, in uh, the Land Rover in, uh, into Europe. And, in fact, um, there was a period of three months when we lived outside of Paris in um, a trailer park. And uh, we had a very small um, caravan, you know, trailer, trailer, just a very small one, not much bigger than the Land Rover. Mm -hmm. And we had our two daughters, Esther and Heidi, and then Charles, he was just six weeks old. He was with us too, and we all lived in this little tiny caravan. We were there for three months for learning French, and uh, we had a homeschool teacher, and she lived in the Land Rover. It's not often you get to hear Paris and Trailer Park in the same sentence. That's nice. That's wonderful. Uh, that's, a, that's good. See, so you learn. So you learned French in France, and and you lived in lived in basically the size of two Land Rovers. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. A tiny house living. So so where's the truck now? Is it is it in Germany? Yeah, it's in Germany, parked in the corner of our garden. Uh, makes a good. Um, platform for putting uh, geraniums and uh, potted plants on, but a very sad sight, but uh, she is ready for uh, restoration, and this is uh, one of our um, dreams to get her back on the road again, sort the engine out, maybe even put a a more modern, up-to-date engine in. As you know, Land Rovers, uh, anything's possible when it comes to uh, mechanical modifications. Indeed. Really? Indeed, indeed. So uh, is the is the book uh, in part of the journey to restore the Landy? Well, it could be that... Um, I'm trying we, to sell more books. Um, I figure that'll, you know, maybe folks will, if they, you know, that might help to exactly. su- supply the funds. It doesn't have to be. I'm just really curious. Not. Sorry, I missed that. I, just, I said, uh, I'm just curious if, if the book would help to fund uh, restoration efforts. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too. Well, we would like to sell more books so that we can have more funds and the possibility of renovating the Land Rover. That'd be excellent. That'd be a good deal. We we definitely support the keeping Land Rovers on the road. How is the German government as far as uh, regulations on something that old? Well, we've done some inquiries with um, the local TÜV office, which is uh, is the German annual or biannual inspection. And, uh, yeah, it's possible there are certain criteria we've got to meet, but uh, it should be possible to uh, get it through the uh, required uh, tests. Excellent. Very nice. How long did you use it after the journey? Did it? Did you park it when you were done, or did it uh, see some more time? It sounds like you did take it on some more camping trips, though. Yeah, we used it for seven years after the trip, and then we went back to live in Mali, um, West Africa for 14 years and every two years when we came back home we would um, take the Land Rover out from a barn where it was being stored and um, take it on the road again to use for the three months we were home so we did that for another maybe two or three times and yeah. another six over another period of six years so probably that was 13 years after the trip we carried on using it Excellent, excellent. That's good. So the the uh, I have a, a, the ultimate question. 
would you do this all over again? Well, <laughs> answer as you like. <laughs> we, when we went and lived in Mali in West Africa, we spent 14 years driving overland uh, because that was the nature of the work that we had there. We were um, bush driving all the time and up in the desert and driving up to Timbuktu and so on. What were you driving? Well, I've got to admit here, there's a, a, a few Land Rovers figure on the uh, on the fleet, but uh, there's a few Land Cruisers and uh, other uh, unmentionable Japanese vehicles uh, we got to use uh, also. But we had a great discovery, didn't we? Oh yeah, we did have. We, we had a discovery. We were involved for some time on a water well digging program, and the discovery was the vehicle choice for, to support that program. I take it the, the vehicle choice was not yours? Well, no, it was, no that was a company, uh, company vehicle. So, yeah. Nice. The, uh, so clearly the answer is yes, you just continued living that lifestyle. Exactly. exactly. You, never, you uh, never really stopped, actually. Well, and, and, you know, the adventure now is to share their story and to inspire the next generation to do the next thing. And so, you know, if we do sell enough books and any future projects that we work on, we do hope to push that into revamping the Land Rover and, and possibly taking it to places it hasn't been before. You know, my uh, I, I'm competing with the three other sisters that I have. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, who will be the next one to take it to somewhere it hasn't been? So we do intend on uh, keeping the legacy going forward. I vote for Antarctica. Well, it hasn't, <laughs> it hasn't been to North America yet either. Oh, yes. It hasn't been to the Americas at all. No, no Americas. Uh, uh, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, and would it be allowed? Would it be allowed to bring it over like as, yes. as, as us as visitors? Yes. You know? Actually, yes. That's It's much easier, that's easier. for you as, as uh, uh, well, I'm going to use the expression foreign nationals, uh, no offense, but as non-citizens, you can bring in pretty much anything you want. Uh, but for a, a limited period of time, you can't sell it and you can't keep it here in, indefinitely. But it's much tougher for us as as citizens to import something than it is for for non citizens. Right. In fact, the very first uh, Discovery Three I ever saw was right hand drive that was brought into the country for uh, I think six months. Well, and, and just a few days ago, oh. we witnessed a South African one thirty that rolled through here, and that's correct. And with South, South African plates on it, mm -hmm. exactly. So yeah, that's easy to do. Actually, that's much much more easy uh, to to bring a non-American vehicle into the country without uh, meeting the regulations that we have. Though importing a '70s series Land Rover is not too difficult. Uh, no, no, that's true. Not, you could import and title not. it here if you wanted. Yeah, that's easy too at this point. Like for instance, if if Charles was going to uh, take over ownership or something like that, it, yes. it could easily be done. That's right. Although uh, it has, it had a. Uh, had a petrol engine originally, but then you switched it out for diesel. That gets a little trickier. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think on a series three, they probably wouldn't care as much. Yeah, I think on something that's that's forty years old, they're not going to look as carefully as if it was a uh, defender. If it was a defender, then you should. You, they're really they really. That's a hot a hot button for the government right now. Yeah, but a series three. I mean, my my series three was what thirty years old when I brought mm -hmm. it in. That was before the crackdown, mind you. True. But, true, but. So Explore More is, uh, Charles, you started that ar around the book to, uh, uh, to encourage people to do what your, what your parents did. And uh, can you tell us more about Explore More? And first of all, how do you spell it? 
So Explore More is spelled E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E. I'm being very creative. I'm a, a graphic designer as, as a day job. I work in an ad agency, so I dream in branding and um, various ventures that I've tried to do. Um, but yeah, Explore More um, started out of the fact that I was inspired by my parents writing this book. And uh, as we saw, you know, the, the interest in it and, and my sisters and I heard about this story endless times throughout the time we were growing up. And, you know, it was only sort of recently how impactful the, the story can be to sort of inspire myself and other, you know, fellow overlanders with this industry that seems to be exploding, especially here in the U.S. Um, so I just thought it would be a great opportunity to uh, create a lifestyle brand that sort of created a a community of, of adventurers who might take inspiration from this story back in 1977 and, uh, you know, I think it's also important that people not only explore more, but, you know, engage more with others and embrace other cultures because, you know, by overlanding, we're essentially visiting other cultures and food and just beautiful places all around the world that, you know, oftentimes the media portrays it as such dangerous and scary places to go, which obviously you have to be careful. But I think the importance of continuing to explore more. Um, really, you know, drives that that need for conversation between countries. You know, we we can't be absolutely can't be putting up gates and and things like that. So, and are are you planning your own trip yet? Um, well, my wife and I are expecting a baby in April, so that'll be the next trip for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, you you were in a caravan after six weeks. Come on. Yeah, really. You were, you were living in a trailer park in Paris. <laughs> outside no, of Paris, I'm, outside of Paris. <laughs> I, uh, I personally took uh, ownership of a uh, 97 D1. So uh, I'm enjoying sort of good place you know, to start. And yeah, I uh, did some good research on it, but you know, my dad's a mechanic and uh, as computers were becoming more and more technologically advanced, I took interest in graphic design. So I'm sort of circling back now and, and tinkering with my own Land Rover, taking on trips and, you know, enjoying the countryside here in Virginia. But, yeah. you know, with the efforts of, of selling the book and hopefully revamping their Land Rover, I'd love to go on a, a great trip with their, with you know, with the same vehicle. So that's the ultimate goal. Good, good. So what other projects are planned? Uh, I know you're... Uh, I guess talking about a photo coffee book and uh, in addition to the rehab project and, and, and I know you have a website. So what else is happening around uh, explore more? So yeah. Um, well, next year is uh, 2017 and that's uh, the 40th anniversary since my parents went on their trip. So it, it, uh, with the interest in the book and the story, it seemed fitting that we would expand on, on that. And, uh, for those who, you know, not necessarily readers, um, we were thinking possibly about, um, expanding the story into a photo coffee table book. Um, and you know, with today's crowdfunding, uh, platforms, we're hoping that we might be able to do a Kickstarter at some point and, uh, I'll use be, that. I'll be your as first supporter. To, say that again. I'll be your first supporter. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I'm using that platform to sort of raise the funds in order to uh, revamp the Land Rover is, is, is the goal. And, and out of that, we'll hopefully be able to create a photo book too that, uh, you know, shows all of their amazing photography and possibly some added, you know, facts and interesting tips for those who are going out on a trip because 
you know, again, they did it very simply. And, and I think that that's also an important thing to remember for myself, too, is, is remembering the basics. I drive around all the time on my phone and rely on it too much that, you know, I find sometimes when I run out of battery, I need to remember remember the basics, make sure I get home on time. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the projects. And then, you know, of course we're continually adding products to our website and, uh, we're hopefully going to be building out a, uh, a podcast as well in the, in the new year. Um, oh, careful. Hold on, hold on. Don't be competing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I support you know, your efforts. It, uh, we, again, you know, some people enjoy, uh, listening to the story as they drive along in their cars off to their, their job. So we're thinking it might be a great opportunity to uh, develop a podcast around the story and sort of release um, excerpts of the book over time so that people can enjoy it. It's a great idea. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hear this podcast thing is catching on. <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Yeah. Yes. I, no, I, that's great. I know I, I support that. And we talked about it at the Overland Expo and um, even even possibly doing your own audio version I think would be uh, wouldn't be a bad idea. So is it, is a is there another book in in off Jan and Alec? Or are you thinking of something else? Maybe like Antarctica. I just well, find Antarctica fascinating. When uh, Alec was in the Antarctic, uh, our only communication was by letters, and so we have a huge um, box full of hundreds of letters, which tell all the fascinating um, facts and. Um, so on of uh, his time down there, and uh, that sounds like a great book. Just just putting the letters up. Oh uh, yeah, so that's a possibility. We also have our adventures in Mali. When we were there, we would uh, write a newsletter every two weeks. So we also have files, binders of these uh, letters that also could be drawn on for lots of stories. Wow! Excellent. Okay, once again, you two are badass. And that's a good thing, by the way. Yeah, you know that. Speaking of, of badass, you've got to look at the picture in the overleaf of the book because there's a picture of, of, of Jan and Alec from 1972. And, and, and Alec is sporting a serious Steve McQueen here there who is a badass of badasses. Indeed, a n- nice turtleneck. We like that. That looks really good. Yeah, that, uh, we, my sisters and I like to joke that that's when they were movie stars. That, the, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was going to say, this looks like a, this is a movie star, you know, it was an action photo here. This looks like you guys are, uh, you're getting ready for uh, for a James Bond film or something. <laughs> Maybe. And I'd like to say that we had great help from our children to develop the book. Our eldest daughter, she did all the, the cover and the illustrations inside. And the photos, we had over 1,300 um, slides, which our youngest daughter did all the um, uh, scanning of those and producing the different photograph pages. And our third daughter, um, she was the quality controller. And she wouldn't let anything pass by unless it was done to a professional standard. And, of course, Charles has been our social media uh, experts. So we've been very um, blessed to have uh, such a family uh, project with this um, book. Outstanding, and it and everything they've said is true. Uh, you know, the the book, the writing, the photos, the quality is up there. Uh, you really could have charged more than twenty dollars. I think <laughs> it's worth. It says uh, twelve pounds ninety nine on the back, but you're charging twenty American. Uh, you're probably gonna get away with a little more. 
<laughs> well, there's plenty of other uh, cool products to check out. We've got great T-shirts and hats and sure. um, note cards and things. So and a lapel pin. I'm getting a lapel pin. Lapel pins. Yeah. So, as soon as we're done, soon as we're done tonight, I'm going to order a lapel pin. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about the book and talking about your adventures. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, and I, I mean, the, the fact that you uh, went that uh, Alec, you went to. Antarctica just is uh, that's killer. That's you're killer. Not, you're not going to get past that, are you? No, I think it's so cool. How many people have gotten to say they got to Antarctica let, once, let alone three times? <laughs> so, John, I think you're going to have to add Antarctica to your destination for your trip. I'm, no, that's not going to happen. I, <laughs> I don't mind the cold, but that's a little too much for me. You know they, you know they now make you take if you, if you're going to Antarctica, Antarctica, they and you have not had your ant, uh, appendix out, they will. Take it out. Uh, take it out before you go, just in case it doesn't. Uh, you don't have a problem when you get there. Remove it at the gate as you're boarding the airplane. That's exactly correct. It's exactly <laughs> correct. They do some uh, pre-medical because uh, you know uh, pre-medical. Have your surgery. boarding pass and your appendix. And your appendix, please. please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, uh, uh, Alec and uh, and Jan. I really appreciate it. This is uh, this is really cool. You're very it's well. A very inspiring story. Uh, it's great to see that you're you know expanding it out to everybody that's what the podcast is all about sharing information and, and talking about stuff that we enjoy and like and have a passion for and clearly you guys have a passion for traveling and getting to meet other people and and, and your land rover so that's uh it is very inspiring that's a good word inspiring yep thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to share our story 